Have you ever found yourself standing in front of the refrigerator with the door open, wondering if there's enough food to make something to eat? More importantly, have you ever done that like every five minutes, thinking there's going to be something new in there? <laughs> I cannot be the only one that does that. Or perhaps you've looked at your to-do list for the day and thought, man, there's just not enough time. We live in a world that often feels marked by scarcity, that not, there's not enough time, not enough resources, not enough patience. We fret over what we don't have and fear we can't make do with what we do have. But what if we've got it all wrong? What if in our hands we hold enough not to just meet our needs, but to meet the needs of those around us? Today we're diving into the story that is probably familiar to some of you, the feeding of the 5,000 found here in Matthew's Gospel chapter 14. But as we journey through this miraculous account, we will be exploring it from a slightly different angle. We're going to consider how empathy, which I told the kids just a little bit ago, is feeling with others, can challenge and change our perspectives. We're going to look at how Jesus, even in the midst of his personal grief, was moved by compassion and empathy to perform a miracle that left everyone filled and satisfied. So as we prepare to delve into this scripture, I invite you to open your hearts and your minds to a new understanding of this story. One that goes beyond bread and fish. One that invites us to wrestle with our presuppositions, or as we have here, wrestle with our hunger. To challenge our biases and to be open to the expansive abundance that God offers. And that really is the most glaring truth that this feeding miracle gives us. Jesus worshipped a God of unlimited provision and abundance for those in need. That's a real important point here. Jesus worshipped a God of unlimited provision and abundance for those in need. And he constantly lived that out. This is such an important part of our understanding of God that it is one of the few stories that is in all four Gospels. The Gospel writers wanted all who encountered their writings to understand that. Among other things, our God is a God who gives sacrificially and selflessly to those in need. The problem is many of us easily identify with the disciples' initial scarcity mindset. Send them away. Let them fend for themselves. That's what the disciples are doing here. But the good news is that in times of scarcity and doubt, God's compassion and provision transcend our limitations. Say that one again. In times of scarcity and doubt, God's compassion and provision transcend our limitations. The good news is that God can turn the little we have into abundance for all. The good news is that even in moments of personal pain and grief, Christ's love for humanity shines through, prioritizing the needs of the many. I think that's something that gets missed here when we read this passage, whether in context or out, is that Jesus does this miracle on the heels of finding out about John the Baptist's death, his cousin, his friend. He's trying to mourn. He's trying to mourn this loss, and people follow him. And instead of just telling them, go away, I'm hurting. Go away, I'm in need right now. He has compassion on them, and he heals them. And then when the disciples try to send 
them away to go fend for themselves out in the middle of nowhere. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So even in the middle of his own mess, Jesus still always prioritized the needs of the many. The good news is that we are not passive observers, but active participants in God's wondrous works. Just like the disciples are invited to be a part of this. Go get that food. Bring it to me. The good news is that we are called to distribute and share in the miraculous gifts we receive. I think it's John's version of this story actually has the bread and the fish belonging to a boy, a young child. And in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the disciples say, we have. So you, it could have been a collective, we have. But John makes the point, I believe it's John, makes the point that this actually belongs to a child. And they bring the child who gives the bread and the fish, which makes another really great illustration and point that we need to come to Jesus with the authenticity and the generosity of a child. The good news is that Jesus offers holistic healing, addressing not only our spiritual needs, but our physical ones, showing a God who cares for the entirety of our being. If Jesus only cared about what we believed or what the people who followed him thought, he would have sent them away. But Jesus didn't. He was about the whole person, spiritual and body. The church loves to hang on people's spiritual needs. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for the homeless. I'm going to pray for the needy. I'm going to pray for people who need clothes. I'm going to pray for you. But Jesus says, don't stop at the spiritual. Jesus would say, I'm going to pray for your need for clothes. And here, by the way, take my tunic. I'm going to pray for your need to eat. Oh, and here, by the way, have some loaves and some fish. Right? I'm going to pray for your homelessness. Oh, by the way, why don't you come stay with me? Or how can I help you get shelter? But the church loves to stop just short of actually doing. The good news is that through faith and trust, we are continually invited to experience the divine mysteries of generosity and abundance in our lives. So why then? Why do we tend to focus on keeping what we have rather than giving what we've got and trusting God to show up and make it more than enough? Why? Why do we do that? We all know intuitively, intellectually, we all know we believe in a God of abundance, but we don't often live as though we believe that, right? We believe that going to heaven is this great thing, right? But we still look both ways when we cross the street. So why do we keep focusing on keeping what we have rather than giving what we got and making or and living into the belief that God's going to show up and make it enough? And I think it's because like the disciples, we tend to experience sympathy for others rather than empathy with others, which is what Jesus models. Sympathy moves us inward out of fear, while empathy moves us outward out of compassion. Let me say that one again, because I'm going to break this down, but it's really important why we think these two things. Sympathy moves us inward out of fear. Empathy moves us outward out of compassion. The word translated as compassion loses something in translation. When we say compassion, we think of just, we think of sympathy, but that's not what the Greek means. Matthew 14, 14 reads, he had compassion on them and cured their sick. This phrase vividly depicts Jesus's response to the crowd that followed him. The Greek word translated as compassion here is splachnizm. This Greek word that literally means to be moved in the inward parts, which sounds gross, but 
That is what it is. To be moved in the inward parts, the heart, the lungs, the liver. And why is that? Because in ancient culture, they believed that the seat of the deepest emotions were in the heart, the lungs, the liver. And that seems like a silly thing to say until you realize we still use that today when we talk about speaking from the heart. That's exactly what we're pointing at. This deep, visceral response that is deep inside. So when we read that Jesus had compassion on them, this term conveys that deep, visceral sense of empathy. It's not just feeling sorry for, it's literally feeling with. The depth of empathetic compassion causes Jesus to heal their sick, even in his own grief, showing his care not just for the spiritual needs, but for their physical well-being as well. Sympathy, as I said, means feeling sorry for someone. It's recognizing their hardship, but it allows us to distance ourselves from their misfortune. It's saying, I feel sorry for you, but I don't want to end up like you. This is mine. There's nothing I can do. I'm going to pray for you. That's sympathy. Empathy, on the other hand, is the ability to truly understand and share the feelings of another, to put one's self in another's shoes. It's like feeling sorrow with someone, literally feeling their grief. It's saying, I feel your pain. I know what it's like to feel the way you do. I don't want that for me either. Here, have some of mine and let's ease your burden or let me help. Nobody ought to feel this way. The disciples' initial reaction to have the people fend for themselves lacks this empathetic, compassionate response that Jesus has. It lacks this compassion because the disciples are only seeing the obstacle and the limitation in front of them. Their response shows this. They're just seeing the problem, just seeing the obstacle. They're feeling sorry for the crowd rather than feeling with the crowd. It's a reminder of how easily we can distance ourselves from the needs of others, especially when their needs seem overwhelming or beyond our ability to meet. And I personally find it troubling to realize how often we as a society like the disciples may resist taking responsibility for serving others, particularly when it feels inconvenient or impossible. And all because we feel sorry for people rather than truly feeling their sorrow. It's like we have a cultural collective mindset of that's not my job. Guess what, Christians? It is your job. It's our job. It is our job to take the responsibility to serve others. We claim to be any kind of followers of Jesus anyway. So let's remember that when Jesus looked out on the crowd of thousands, he didn't see an insurmountable problem. He saw an opportunity for a miracle. How much cooler would that be if instead of seeing an insurmountable problem, something we can't do anything about, we only saw an opportunity for Jesus to show up and do a miracle? He didn't react with fear and sympathy. He responded with empathy and compassion. This is the good news we celebrate. A God who takes our scarcity and turns it into abundance. A God who invites us to move beyond sympathy and embrace empathy. This is the good news that can transform our fear into faith, our scarcity into abundance, and our sympathy into empathy. We praise the God who sees our little and makes it enough. We praise the God who calls us to move from sympathy to empathy, from fear to compassion. 
we rejoice in the good news that we are invited to participate in the miracles of God, to share in the divine abundance, and to extend the love and compassion we have received to those around us. So let's go be Jesus by embracing the good news with joy and gratitude, recognizing, praising God for the abundance we are given. Let's go be Jesus by answering his call to serve others with empathy and compassion, showing up even in our limitations. I want to pause right there one second. It is difficult to feel empathy when you have never felt what the other feels, right? Sometimes sympathy might be the only thing that drives us because let's take the students that we're about to feed here on the 25th before that home game or that away game. The revelation that many of those children do not eat before they leave whether it's because they just choose not to or they can't, I numbered among those who would have not been able to. Many of us in this room will have no idea what that feels like. We may not know what actual hunger feels like. And in, in reality, I don't know what like real starvation hunger feels like, but growing up, I absolutely knew what it was like to miss a meal. I knew what that feeling was. And so when you say that, I'm immediately like, yes, we have got to do this because I know what that feels like. I understand that not all of us are going to know what that feels like. What I ask for you then in this situation and in all of them, all of the struggles or difficulties you might encounter and you're like, well, I don't know what that's like. Try to move beyond that feeling of sorrow for and really try to understand. And how do you do that? You can talk to some people who've experienced it and they can explain it to you. You can go look it up. I promise you, those Feed the Children commercials aren't just for show. They help you see the reality of things like this. So even when it comes to our voting here this week, use empathy when you make your choice. Whatever you choose, know that the hammer you wield today will crush you tomorrow. Whichever party's in power will not always be in power. So when we make rules and we make policy, we have to remember that it's, yeah, it might feel good right now because we're the ones in control, but we won't always. We need to have empathy to know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a hammer because that's what laws are. They're force, just whatever. I'm not saying we don't have laws. I'm just saying the laws we enact in our country ought to be done empathetically. Don't just choose yourself. Choose the community. Because one day, you're going to be on the receiving end of that. And that is a great way to figure out how to be empathetic. Imagine what it would be like for you to be on the receiving end of what somebody else feels. And then you come steps closer to empathy. We can go be Jesus. I don't know if I said this one already. We can go be Jesus by answering his call to serve others with empathy and compassion, showing up even in our limitations. We're all, we all have limitations, but we show up anyway. Jesus was limited by his own grief, but he showed up anyway. We can go be Jesus by trusting him with what little we have, believing that his ability to multiply it into more than enough for all is present. We have to trust and believe that God's going to show up and make it enough. Let's go be Jesus by taking the good news into our everyday lives, acting as his hands and feet, sharing his love and compassion with everyone we meet. I implore you, I beg you, that as we move through this fall and we have the opportunity to 
work with the school, with these kids, with the band, whether it's home game, away game, as we move into October, which I believe is our month for community meals. Many of you have a part in that already. Some of you are coming throughout the week to help prep. Some of you are coming that Thursday night and for the games you're coming out. Some of you are already doing this stuff. If you have not done this, I ask you to feel something that moves you to action rather than just feeling sorry for folks. Feeling sorry for folks does not put food on the table. Feeling sorry for folks doesn't put people in houses. Feeling sorry for folks does not make good policy for this country. Feeling what others have experienced, knowing that, understanding that, is what moves us to action. So as we move through this week and this fall, leading towards Advent, which is just down the road, I ask you, imagine yourself in their shoes and then start walking in them. Start walking in those shoes so that you can make it so that none of us have to walk in those shoes. Let's go be Jesus, y'all. Amen? Amen. Let's